Welcome to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors read their articles or discuss them with ABR staff. My name is Peter Rose and I'm the editor of ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version or just $60 for print plus online. I wanted to let you know about the 2024 tour of the Adelaide Festival and Writers Week, which ABR will present with our commercial partner, Academy Travel. I'll be co-leading the tour with Christopher Menz, a former director of the Art Gallery of South Australia. Join us for nine days of concerts and performances, guided tours of museums and galleries, plus sessions at Writers Week, the odd restaurant, and ABR's unique brand of conversation and conviviality. Full details are available from the Academy Travel website. See you in Adelaide. In this week's episode of the ABR podcast, writer and broadcaster Jonathan Green reviews Walter Marsh's illuminating biography of the young Rupert Murdoch. Green explains that there is every reason to get to the bottom of Rupert Murdoch given the media mogul's far-reaching influence. This early life biography depicts episodes of blunt uncaring, says Green, that help explain Murdoch's subsequent career. Here is Jonathan Green with One Man Control, an enthralling study of the young Rupert Murdoch, published in the August issue of ABR. One Man Control, an enthralling study of the young Rupert Murdoch. There's every reason for wanting to get to the bottom of Rupert Murdoch. It's arguable that he has done more than any modern individual to shape public life, policy and conversation in those parts of the Anglosphere where his media interests either dominate or hold serious sway. His influence is richly textured, transformative. Beyond bringing a a populist insouciance to his host of print and television properties, he's also unafraid of using his reach as a political weapon, a tactic used with such vehement ubiquity that governments preemptively buckle to what they suppose is the Murdoch line. Debate is thus distorted and circumscribed. Public anxiety is co-opted as a cynically exploited tool of sales and marketing. The persistent question with Rupert Murdoch is why? Is he driven by ideology and belief, a desire for profit, or a fluctuating combination of the two? That mix is uncertain, but in the sum of everything he does, Murdoch pursues victory, regardless of the damage to individuals or the broader social cost. There's an old joke. If you buy a dog with Rupert Murdoch, your half dies. He is ruthless. It's intriguing, then, to wonder how this man was formed. A man who's achieved such extraordinary, if cumulatively malignant, things. And that's the implied promise of this book, Young Rupert, The Making of the Murdoch Empire. What signs were present in the young man whose opportunity was bestowed by his comparatively minor magnate father? I was keen for clues. In a way... I'm this book's optimal reader. 
born in Adelaide, where author Walter Marsh sets his scene, my godfather, Don Riddell, uh, then editor-in-chief of Adelaide's The Advertiser, is sacked by Murdoch on page 260. My actual father was uh, an advertiser, reporter and columnist. My first paying teenage job was at the Herald and Weekly Times, the organisation two generations of Murdochs strive to conquer. I was working there as an adult when Rupert finally won. All that was then. By now, we all have skin in the Murdoch game. We begin with inheritance. For the rise and rise of Keith Rupert Murdoch was the specific and stated design of Keith Arthur Murdoch, 1885-1952, his father. There was no intricate play of succession here. The only son would have it all. Sir Keith made his hopes clear in his will. I desire that my said son Keith Rupert Murdoch should have the great opportunity of spending a useful and altruistic life in newspaper and broadcasting activities. Amassing a a potent legacy gave a frame to Sir Keith's working life of steady media acquisition. I cannot afford to die, Sir Keith had told a family friend. I've got to see my son established, not leave him like a lamb to be destroyed by these people. Marsh's deep study is is bedded in detailed and meticulous research rendered unfailingly lively and enthralling in the telling. In Span, it takes us from before Rupert's birth in 1931 to his victory over the British print unions at Wapping in 1986. The narrative is front-loaded to the early 20th century, giving a vivid account of a formative time in Australian media when powerful men jockeyed for domination. They were not without blemish. Sir Keith, a self-made journalist hero of the famous, if somewhat fanciful, Gallipoli Dispatch, a stirring but flawed polemic rights marsh, also seems to have been something of an anti-Semite. His rise, first as managing director, then as chairman of Melbourne's Herald and Weekly Times Limited, was, he notes, one time when the Jews met their master. Though he would later struggle to keep that newspaper from the hands of salvaging Jews. He was a man of physical presence and charisma the type who inspired loyal, almost besotted commitment. His mentor was the British tabloid baron Lord Northcliffe, a relationship of considerable mutual admiration. It was a formative one for Sir Keith, who was dubbed Lord Southcliffe by local wags. One piece of advice from Northcliffe was telling, an inspiration to Sir Keith and perhaps also to his son. They're certainly words Rupert would eventually live by. The key to success in the newspaper business was absolute personal power. Or, as Northcliffe put it in a telegram from December 1921, Fact, you have complete control, one man control, essential, newspaper business, chief. Young Rupert was raised in a climate of loving discipline. And it was presumably a combination of the two that, on a sea voyage to England, sees his mother, Elizabeth, teach him to swim by throwing him into the ship's pool and refusing, quote, to let anyone help the blonde-haired little boy flailing and screaming at the deep end. A rebellious willfulness grew in the boy. At Geelong Grammar, he was a polarising figure, Marsh writes, 
a loud, if not entirely convincing radical, whose left-wing politics and rough, shambolic manner invited mockery. He'd earned the nickname Comrade Murdoch. Still a schoolboy, he would form a relationship with a man who would become his father's trusted lieutenant, and eventually Rupert's partner in a formative crisis that blended newspapers, South Australian politics and the law. A moment that becomes the central pillar of this book. That man is journalist and editor Rowan Rivette, 1917-1977, and Marsh has written his story in almost as much detail as Rupert Murdoch's. In consequence, there are times when Murdoch is relegated to what is almost a supporting role, lost in the sweep of this detailed history. But that's both the truth of his early years and the bedding for a moment when the ruthless Murdoch of later life emerges in an episode of blunt uncaring that announces the arrival of the fully formed man. When Rupert goes to Cambridge, Rivette and his family follow him as a support troop, sending back dispatches to his sometimes anxious father. The relationship is a little reminiscent of the elder brother Brideshead's brotherly concern for Sebastian Flight, although Murdoch's transgressions pale in both scope and severity. The young Murdoch sticks with his socialism, has a bust of Lenin in his rooms, and even attends a British Labour Party conference. The Rivette relationship also sticks. After his father's death in 1952, the Adelaide afternoon paper, The News, is Rupert's inheritance and the stake on which he will build an empire. Rowan Rivette becomes his editor-in-chief, and between them, they publish a paper of occasionally provocative social conscience, a constant irritant to its staid morning rival, the advertiser. It all unravels in 1960 over coverage of the Stuart Royal Commission, an inquiry into the apparently wrongful conviction of a runting man, Robert Max Stuart, over the murder of a young girl. The news, Rivette and boy publisher Murdoch, had campaigned hard while Stuart faced the gallows, sparking the inquiry that would almost be their undoing. The story is complicated and takes a goodly chunk of this book to explain, but eventually the Murdoch challenge to the Conservative government of Thomas Playford is met with charges of libel, including one of seditious libel, charges that are levelled, contested and one by one dropped. Within weeks of this moment of triumph, Rupert Murdoch has sacked Rivette, a friend of almost lifelong standing and a man who has stood by him through thick and very thin. He sacked him by letter, a technique reprised only recently to end his marriage to Jerry Hall. He would sell the news too, newly entranced by television and Sydney tabloids. Rupert Murdoch was thus on his way and suddenly, recognisably, himself. Rivette was left to lament the passing of his share of the dog. Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to AVR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. 
And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.